What's good, everyone? Welcome back to the Bucks Film Room Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sampson, and you can find me on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. I write about the Milwaukee Bucks for Brew Hoops and for Forbes Sports. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, wherever else. You guys probably already know that. That's why you're listening. But you can just search for the Brew Hoop feed and you can find it under there. It comes out every Thursday. So really appreciate everyone coming back and checking in and, and taking a listen. We are now less than two weeks away from... Tip off from the Bucks tipping off their preseason against the Chicago Bulls on October 7th. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited for some Bucks basketball, even though this offseason has been shorter than normal. It's still been too long for me. And and speaking of excitement, I'm really pleased to announce that I will be at the Bucks Media Day on Monday. It'll be my first ever experience at something like this, but I'm really looking forward to it. You know, we're really trying to take this to the next level for everyone. And so it should be a lot of fun, should be a lot of valuable information and insight that we gain. And it'll be the beginning of the Bucks, you know, really getting into that uh, training camp schedule because then they're going to go to Madison from Tuesday, October 1st till Thursday, October 3rd, I believe, and have practices in Madison. And that's really, you know, we got Bucks basketball in less than a week. It's really great time here, you know, and with all the other great stuff going on in Wisconsin sports, we're super pumped. So today we are going to break down Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton, but before we do that, let's just chat about the fine that the Bucks were given by the NBA earlier this week. It's ridiculous. So you guys probably already know, but the franchise was fined $50,000 because of John Horst's comments, basically just stating what everyone already knew that the team was going to or is going to offer him, offer him, offer Giannis Atetokounmpo a maximum contract extension or the super max once they are able to do so next summer. So that was at the Bucks town hall thing that they had a couple of weeks ago. It was a question. Horse just, you know, off the cuff answered it, shared what their expectations were going to, or are going to be. And I, you can't do that. You, the, so the NBA, they really are, are clamping down on these new rules about what you can and cannot say about players about these tampering stuff. I shouldn't say new rules. They're not new rules. It's just they are clamping down. And so NBA commissioner Adam Silver Silver has decided to take on this tampering piece. He fined the Bucks. You know, really these this this crackdown on tampering is really put into place for to prevent bigger franchises like LA, like the Clippers or the Lakers people like that from taking stars from little franchises not it's not meant to punish little franchises for trying to keep their own stars and so this was really you know it's against the spirit of the rules that are in place but Adam Silver he's taking on tampering if he's gonna dole out a $50,000 fine for something as insignificant as this really I'm really interested to see what his consistency looks like here moving forward and how he's gonna crack down on other stuff that is said by other franchises when it's not about their own player and so this will be really interesting I hope it's a sign of things to come because this could not come at a better time for the Bucks as they're trying to rate retain Giannis. So we'll see how this all plays out. But really, that fifty thousand dollar fine, you know, it, 
it might not it might be it might be worth it in the long run if the Bucks keep Giannis. I don't know if this would help or not help, whatever, but their intentions are out there. We now know, you know, how Silver is gonna or at least have a better idea how Silver is going to try to govern this and really he you know, he better keep that consistency up and he better keep that same energy when it comes to the other franchises. So moving on with our regular scheduled programming, we'll continue to follow the same format we have in all of these previews where we look at the player's strengths, weaknesses, and the best and worst case scenarios in the upcoming season. So let's begin with Eric Bledsoe. Bledsoe signed a four-year, $70 million extension in March with the final year in 2022-23 being only partially guaranteed. It, it looked like a steal at that time, just in in March, six months ago. It looked like a steal based on how Bledsoe was playing. But then he shit the bed for the second straight postseason, and my, how things have turned. It suddenly looks like a very bad, not a very bad deal. It suddenly looks like the Bucks could have done better with their money. So let's just jump right into Bledsoe's game by looking at his strengths. Right, right away, one of his biggest strengths, especially last season, is his on-ball defense. He made the all-defensive first team in 2018-19 for the first time in his career, and he really earned that. He finally tapped into his potential on that end of the floor. Bledsoe really combines strength and quickness really together. He's got a really good blend of those two qualities, and that's what allows him to be such a great perimeter defender. He is really good at at fighting through and over screens, which is really important considering all the pick-and-roll offense that is used in the NBA this year. He uses that long wingspan as well. He can also guard multiple positions. You know, he can guard the point guards, obviously, but he can guard... For the most part, a lot of shooting guards, especially if they are perimeter oriented, you know, we saw him being the primary defender on James Harden last year, and he did an excellent job on Harden, you know, Bledsoe has shut down guys like Damian Lillard, uh, CJ McCollum, uh, Steph Curry, he's really had, you know, a big role in that stuff, and sometimes it comes, you know, he gets a lot of heat for maybe playing a little bit more non-traditional in those types of situations against those star players, but, you know, his job duties and his job assignments are likely ones that are just focused on players like Curry and Harden and keeping them off of the free throw line, out of the paint, and out of the, or off the three-point line as well, so he really did a great job. It's a huge strength that he has is that his ability on defense you know, for the first time, like I said, he really tapped into that potential and showed how great he can be. So that was really awesome to see from him. Um, he just it did a tremendous job. It will be, should be a good strength moving forward. He's also a good rebounder on both ends of the floor. That's something that is kind of underrated, but he's a good rebounding guard. Uh, cleaning the glass has him ranked in the 70th percentile last season among point guards in their defensive rebound percentage. So of all the uh, field, the opponent shots that were missed, he grabbed 11.2% of them. And so that's, you know, a really good number. The Bucks, they really, a lot of their offense, they want to get going quickly. They like to push the ball up the floor and that is predicated on their ability to get stops and then to get the defensive rebounds. And so he does a great job of, of playing in there, getting his fair share and then some of those rebounds and then pushing the ball. And so that's really, you know, a strength that he has is that rebounding on both ends of the floor. He's also a good finisher. I think that was 
really evident last season. He His strength and his quickness, as much as it pays off on defense, it also pays off on offense. You know, if he just gets a step on his guy, he knows how to legally lower his shoulder, keep his defender on his back hip, use his strength, you know, to push through. And he finished 68% of his shots around the hoop, which ranked in the 94th percentile among point, among point guards, according to Cleaning the Glass. So, and that's nothing new, you know. Last year in Milwaukee, he ranked in the 96th percentile. So he's really an elite finisher around the hoop. He can use that strength. He can use that athleticism, that hang time. And he really does a great job with that. And so that's really exciting to see him get not only be able to get to the hoop at a at a good rate, but also finish at the hoop at a good rate as well. Um, and so that really should continue moving forward. He, oddly enough... For the first time in his career, he was a better pull-up three-point shooter than a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. Um, mo- almost every person to ever play the game is better at catch-and-shoot than pull-up. You know, it's just the nature of the game. It's easier to catch it. It's catch-and-shoot. It's more defined. You have less variables as far as body movement, things like that. You're usually a little bit more open when you're able to catch-and-shoot than when if you're doing a pull-up shot, you're usually having to create something with a guy closer in proximity as well. But for the first time in his career in 2018-19, Bledsoe made a higher percentage of his pull-up threes than he did of his catch-and-shoot threes. And among all NBA players to take at least 150 pull-up threes, Bletzel ranked fourth in three-point percentage. Uh, so he made 38.4% of his pull-up threes. So that was kind of weird to see, you know, that a lot of those necessarily weren't like the James Harden, Steph Curry type with a guy close. It was, you know, with a guy backing off, worried about him driving to the hoop, but still he was able to make them pay. Uh, you know, I think that I don't know if he'll be that good again next year, but I think he'll still be close to that 38% mark. But I think he'll also raise his catch-and-shoot numbers back closer to his career average. Um, and so I think he'll be a better, a more improved three-point shooter. I'm not putting that in his strengths category. That will come in the weaknesses. But I'm just saying that I have a theory about his three-point percentage being better in, in this upcoming season. But just for now, in the strengths, you know, that pull-up three, he was able to make it pay when those opportunities presented themselves. Like I said, he wasn't always able to create that shot on a consistent basis, but he was able to make the opponents pay for going under screens or different things like that. Moving on to weaknesses. Uh, So like I said, even though I think he'll be an improved outside shooter, it's still safe to put his three-point shooting in this weaknesses category. That was a huge downfall to his game. He only made 33% of his threes last year, which ranked in the 26th percentile among point guards, according to Cleaning the Glass. So that, just not cutting it, you know, especially for a team that values that three-point shot. You know, a lot of the Bucks' offense is predicated on guys like Giannis, like Bledsoe, creating shots and kicking out. But if he's on the court, if Bledsoe's on the court with Giannis and Giannis is the one creating, then Bledsoe's defender can focus on helping the helper or on digging, different things like that. And Bledsoe is, was not able to make the defense pay for not paying enough attention to him. So I think that's a big weakness, you know, really limits his game. And I'm sure it's something that he's been working on all off season. You know, I'm sure it's something that he's put a lot of time and effort and energy into throughout his career so far, you know, it's just been something that has stuck out. And especially in the postseason, uh, the Raptors, we really saw them, you know, everybody other than Middleton, 
they just kind of made them made the Bucks players beat them from the three-point line, and Bledsoe was the main culprit. He had an awful postseason, especially the Eastern Conference Finals, and that was really the second straight year that he's had a bad playoff. So we'll see how that affects his mentality here moving forward. It's got a weigh on him. You know, it's hard to fight through that stuff. It's, it's hard to be mentally tough and understand what the opponent's game plan is, what you have to do to beat the opponent's game plan, but not be able to do that. And so we'll see how that mentality, you know, what his emotional health or mental health looks like here going through this regular season and into the postseason, especially, you know, I don't think the regular season will matter as much. The Bucks are good enough to beat teams on a regular basis, but the postseason is where it really counts. And so we'll see where that comes in. You know, I think that's really the biggest weakness that, that Bledsoe has really one of the only major weaknesses that he has in his game. Otherwise, you know, passing, I wouldn't put that in either category playmaking. I wouldn't put that maybe a little bit more towards strength, but definitely not a weakness. So, you know, it's just that three-point shooting and how he bounces back. Best case scenario is that three-point shooting. That's the focus of a lot of these guys, but a lot of these guys are role players, and that's their biggest role on offense. And he hits 36%. That's what I'm going to set the number at. They may That may seem unrealistic. That may seem a little too high, but that's what I'm going to set that number at is 36%. So best case scenario is Bledsoe hits 36% of his threes. He continues to be elite at finishing around the hoop, especially with Brogdon gone. You know, it was it's really Brogdon, Bledsoe, Giannis are the three guys who can get to the hoop on a consistent basis. And so Milwaukee's going to need Bledsoe to continue to be elite point guard at finishing around the hoop and taking advantage of that and and he also continues to stay engaged on defense and he continues to for the second straight year be that all defensive first team caliber player and that really helps take a lot of pressure off you know especially with Brogdon gone this year Brogdon sometimes had some of those duties maybe not the same duties as Bledsoe but he had a big role in the defensive game plan that Milwaukee rolled out on a nightly basis and so it'll really be important for Bledsoe to continue to be engaged on that end of the floor and continue to be that shutdown option like he was you know the Bucks had the best or one of the best defenses last year as a team and Bledsoe is a huge part of that and so in this best case scenario he really needs to keep that going and then I think the other best case scenario is fast forwarding to the playoffs he's able to get himself over that mental hump he's able to get himself over that mental hill and he doesn't have to play great he doesn't have to win games for the Bucks. he just has to make sure he doesn't lose them for the Bucks. you know he just has to be you know his same type of player that he is in the regular season just carry that over the postseason hit threes at an acceptable clip, at a league average clip, maybe even a slightly below, but just don't go full bombshell in the playoffs. I think that would be the the last and final aspect to his best case scenario. Worst case scenario is that his playoff woes carry over into the regular season and he really gets down on himself or got is down on himself for two straight playoff blunders and that really carries over to the regular season and he's not able to to kick that you know he kind of has the yips uh so to speak and and he's just struggles into the regular season he lacks that confidence in his three-point shot in his game and his percentage outside percentage either this is kind of a different type of worst case scenario, but his outside percentage either stays at that 33%, 32% we saw last year or drops by a couple of percentage points. You know, Milwaukee really needs that floor spacing. Um, Bledsoe still brings that elite 
finishing ability and that good shot creation around the hoop. So that is a positive, but I think he needs to add that that other element to his game and be a more dynamic scorer. And then the other on the other end of the floor, he lacks concentration on defense. And, you know, it's going to be tough, or maybe not tough, but it'll be interesting to see how Milwaukee approaches this regular season. You know, last year they getting that number one C, locking up home court advantage, that was their focus, and then getting a title. And we'll see this year if their focus is on getting that one seed. The 76ers uh, head coach Brett Brown said the other day that his focus is on getting the number one seed in the East. That's what his goal is. And so we'll see how Milwaukee responds if they want that or if they're more worried about setting themselves up for postseason success. And so how will Bledsoe's concentration level on defense look in this worst case scenario? I could see him losing some of that, taking a step or two back, and his defense isn't as good as last year. And then overall, that takes a cumulative hit on the rest of the Bucks' uh, defense as a team as well. So we'll see how that plays out and how engaged he is on that end of the floor. All right, well, now it's time to move on to Chris Middleton. Middleton is one of the most divisive players in Bucks franchise history. You either love him or you hate him. And there's really no middle ground to that. Uh, and that's only going to go to another level this season, considering that he got paid in the offseason. He got he and the Bucks agreed to a five-year, $178 million contract. And that comes, you know, maybe it's a little bit of an overpayment, uh, but he's been underpaid for the last two or three years, and nobody has seemed to give him that credit. And in Middleton, also, he could have pushed the team for a max, and I think the team would have had to give him a max because they didn't have any other better alternatives. So, you know, he deserves that, but I think that'll be a point of contention. You know, he's not a top 10 player, a top 15, or a top 20. 20 player, uh, maybe top 25 at best case, but probably even a little bit lower than that. And so that's just been a point of contention for Bucks fans. You know, you either hate him or you love him. And so we'll see how that plays out. But getting into his strengths, you know, he playmaking, he's one of the best playmakers on the team. For being a six foot eight wing, you know, he can handle the ball. It's not always going to be flashy, but he can handle it. He can pass it. He can throw that alley oop. He can do some of that pick and roll. He can hit that pocket pass on the roller. And so I think that's really one of his strengths that he brings to the table and, and something that is maybe even a little bit underrated for him, but it's definitely, you know, something that he's really good at. His 19.5% assist percentage ranked in the 92nd percentile among wings last year. Um, he does turn, turn the ball over a little bit more than you'd like, but overall not a huge issue. So I think that playmaking is just one of the strengths and his ability to to handle the ball, to initiate the offense, uh, those types of things. He's also a very good shot creator, you know, tough shot express, tough shot express. That's what we hear a lot of with, with Middleton, but he can create that shot. He can create looks for himself. You know, that's what's, that's a lot of what got him paid in the offseason is it's a very rare skill to be able to create your own shot on a consistent basis in the NBA, really at any level. But those players who can create their own shots are going are going to get paid. Um, and that's one of the most difficult skills to acquire to build up in the NBA. And so he can do that. He can he can create his own shot at from the post, uh, from the mid range, from the three point line. You know he can really score in those different uh, areas of the court. And so that's really one of his strengths is if the Bucks need a bucket, he can be their go-to man. And he has been one of their go-to men down the stretch and in the playoffs. Um, his outside shooting, 
He hit 39% of his pull-up threes last year. We talked about how good Bledsoe was in that category. Middleton was even better. He's one of the top, either second or third best. I think second best among players who took at least 153s. So that pull-up shooting, he can do that. He can also catch and shoot the ball. You know, he's just overall a really good three-point shooter. He's a perfect complement to Giannis. You know, when you talk about that second banana or that second player, that you would want like he's a perfect complement he can create his own shots he can space the floor for Giannis but he's not going to do too much you know a lot of times some people want that second star in Milwaukee but that second star also comes in with taking a lot more shots away from Giannis or from other guys and Middleton has that perfect balance of he knows when to take his own shot when to create his own shot but also Giannis it's Giannis's show and that's that's clear um Moving to the other side of the court, Middleton has good